0: Um, people will talk at times about the victorious Christian life. And if you are like me, sometimes it doesn't feel so victorious. I'm not looking at my life a lot of times and saying, wow, that is an overcoming kind of life. That's victorious. And so the truth of the matter is, though, if it depended on me, my works, my quiet time, my goodness, my service, My consecration, my following, it wouldn't be victorious at all. And yours wouldn't be either. In fact, our overcoming, our victorious Christian life, it all traces itself back to the victory won for us at the cross. He overcame. He is victorious. We have believed in him and been plunged into his victory. We have believed in him So we are more than conquerors. We have believed in him. We're victorious. Turn with me to first John chapter five. We're kind of entering the home stretch of the book. Um, We've mentioned he's been writing this book to combat false teachers who had left the church and taken probably a pretty sizable following with them. And so it was written to combat their heresy, to combat their false teaching, which really centered on shrinking down the view of Jesus and so in their minds and in their teaching, Jesus, the man, was separate from the Christ, the Godness, the divine son of Godness. And so somehow the man Jesus and the Christ, the son of God, were different. They were separate. So whether the Christ came on Jesus and left or whatever their teaching was, it was to shrink Jesus from God man down to just a man man. And they had shrunk their view of Jesus, so they didn't have this full view of Jesus. So John's combating that, and he's kind of finishing up with another shot at them. But on the other side, on the other hand, what he's also doing is he's trying to encourage the faithful. Like, Can you imagine if half or with three-quarters of the church left to follow some false teaching or a teaching at all? He'd be like, well, maybe they're the right ones and I'm the wrong one. Maybe they have it right about Jesus and we've got it wrong about Jesus. Or you look out over the landscape of the American church and you think, well, they're all doing it a different way. Maybe they're the right ones. And so John's just like, no. Let me assure you. Let me reassure you. Here's who Jesus is. And if you have been born again, if you have believed in this Jesus, victory is the outcome. And that's what he's going to do in this passage is take combating the false teacher and then drawing them into the victory that comes from the true Jesus, the full Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the sovereign, the king, the ruler, the son of God. So he's going to do that. uh, Section one of the book, God is light. He is the fullness of life. He is eternal life. He is purity. He is righteousness. He's all that really, truly is life. And then the second part that we've been doing, God is love. He is the kind of love that loves enemies into children. And that's foreign to us. That's strange to us. He's the kind of love that loves his enemies into children. And he loves them so deeply and so fully that he calls his children to go love other people. And so the simple formula of the last few weeks has been God is love. You are deeply loved in Jesus. So then you go out and deeply love other people. It's pretty simple, isn't it? When I have met the God who is defined by love... When I've really met him, love will come out of me. Love will come out of me from him, out of me into others. And it can't be any other way than that. And so today we're going to kind of see this, a little bit of a wrap of that and leading into the conclusion. It's the interaction between faith, love, love that drives itself to obedience, and that results in overcoming. Faith, love, obedience, overcoming. Victorious Christian Living so let's read it and then we'll pray first John 5 1 through 5 Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God And obey his commandments For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are Y'all read this now, not burdensome. All right, just want to make sure you got that. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith or the faith of us. Who is it that overcomes the world except for the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father... Show us the goodness and beauty of Jesus, the Son of God. God the Son, who reigns eternally in the heavens. The one whom the kingdoms of this world will be upon His shoulder, and the increase of His government will have no end for justice and righteousness forevermore. It will be a kingdom of peace, Father. It will be an all-encompassing kingdom. He will reign. He does reign and so father would you show us the beauty of our messiah king would you show us the beauty of our hero slain on a cross to rescue people not to take away our political problems but to take away our sin and to adopt us into your family so that we're not your enemies anymore and we don't hate you anymore but we love you and we're loved by you which is more important Father, would you show us the beauties of Jesus and what he's done? Would you change us by your love poured out on us? So that by faith we will love the world and we'll love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So by faith we are overcomers. By faith we are overcomers. Let's look at the first. Why? Because we have a new birth into a new family marked by love. We are overcomers because we have a new birth into a new family marked by love. So I've got this trick. I can know exactly what you believe. Do you know how that's true? Because I can look at what you do. We always do what we believe. And you could do the same thing to me. What does Chris really believe? Well, what does Chris do? We always do what we really believe. And so functionally in the moment, what we are believing... Shows up in our actions. Which means something for the Christian. For those who genuinely believe in the gospel. And genuinely believe in Jesus. And those who are actively believing in Jesus. There is a connection between what we believe. The gospel. And what we do. Loving other people. So whatever we truly believe. Will show up in what we do. And in this case, love. And so when we have a love problem, we don't just have a love problem, we have a gospel problem. When we have a category of people we won't love, or when we have a limit to our love, we don't have a love problem, we have a faith problem. Because we always do what we believe. When our affections are set on Christ, when our faith is set on Christ, the only inescapable, unbreakable outcome of that is love for other people. And there's no way around it. You can't say, well, man, I am, I'm solid with Jesus. Me and Jesus are great. Don't love people that much. I don't really care for people. It's just not possible. And that's what we see in the text is we see this connection between faith and the connection between what we do, and that's love. And so if you find that you have some love problems in your life, your marriage, your home, your kids, types of people, categories of people, difficult people, what do you have to look at? Do I have gospel amnesia? Have I forgotten who I am in Jesus? Have I forgotten the love poured out on me in Jesus? Have I forgotten the riches of God's kindness towards me for all the ages in Jesus? Have I forgotten the gospel? Or it may be that you look and you see, and you know, I've got, I don't have a gospel amnesia, I've got gospel deficiency. I've never seen the fullness of the gospel. I've never seen that part of the gospel before. There's parts of the gospel I've missed and I've shifted into trying to earn it or there's parts of the gospel I've missed and I've totally missed the perfect love God has for me that's supposed to come out of me for others. And so there's a place in my heart and a place in my life the gospel hasn't taken root yet. It hasn't deepened and rooted in yet. And so when we have love problems, we look for gospel problems. Where have I forgotten the gospel and who Jesus is and who he's made me to be? What don't I know about the gospel yet? That needs to be applied there, or deep in there, or rich, enriched there. Let's look at it as we go into the text. So, a quick overview of the text, just so you see the logic of it. Those who genuinely believe are born again. New nature, new family, new identity. Those who believe in Jesus, the fullness of who He is, are born again. They have a new name, a new nature, a new identity in Christ. Those who have a new identity are born of a really good Father, so they love that Father. And those who love that father love everyone else that's born of that father too. You see, the family business of God is love. And so all those who, are, all those who believe are born again, all those who are born again love the father. All those who love the father love all of the father's children. And how do we know we love the father's children? When we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and when we obey him out of love, we obey him by loving others. And if we do that, what's the outcome? What is the outcome of faith working itself out in love and obedience to the Father? It's victory. It's the experience of active victory. It's the experience of growing and progressive victory over sin and over flesh and over death and over the world. And so that's kind of the logic and the flow of the text. Faith drives love and obedience. Faith, love, and obedience drive victory and define victory for us. So let's look at it. In this new birth, genuine faith centers on the person and work of Jesus in this verse, he is the Christ. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. See, that's what the false teachers were trying to do. There's this Jesus, and sure, he's fine, and he's good, and he's great, and yeah, you should like him and everything, but yeah, no, not the Christ. And so what is he saying? He's saying you should believe that Jesus is the Christ. You should believe the fullness of who Jesus is. He is the Messiah King that had been prophesied for thousands of years. He is the one that will crush the head of the serpent and undo the curse and the fall. He is the root that will grow up out of the Jewish nation, out of the, out of the root of Jesse and out of the root of David to come and sit on the throne of David and rule over the nations. He is the one that will come to you lowly and riding on a colt and the fall of a donkey. He is the one who will suffer and bear our trespasses and by His stripes we will be healed. He is the one for thousands of years we have said is coming and has now come. He is the Christ. He is the King. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the sacrificial Lamb who died on a cross not to temporarily cover our sin to pass us over and get us out of Egypt but to permanently take away our sins by becoming our sins and offering us His righteousness. He is our sacrifice. He is our sovereign God. He is our King. He is our Messiah. And if you believe in the fullness of who jesus is you'll be born again you will have a new identity you will be born into a new family that's what he means you are born of god and this is the second to the last time he's going to use this in the book you have been born of god if you believe in jesus but you don't get to believe in the jesus you want to believe in you get to believe in the jesus who is you don't get to believe what you like about Jesus and take the parts of Jesus you don't like out. You get to believe in Jesus and His fullness and His Majesty and His glory and His beauty and His saving worth, and you'll be born again. But anything less than that. And you'll miss it. And so whoever whoever believes is born again. Whoever believes in the fullness and majesty of Jesus has this new birth, and this new birth comes with a new family, the family of God, and it comes with a new identity. God now defines you. God now tells you who you are, and I don't get to tell you who you are. And the people sitting around you don't get to tell you who you are. And your parents, with the best of intentions, don't get to define you with their failures and mistakes. And your friends don't get to define you. And the people that made fun of you in school don't get to define you. And the people who were never proud of you, or you never lived up to their expectations, don't get to define you. God now defines you. And do you know how He defines you? Dearly loved child, perfect righteousness of Jesus, adopted, accepted, loved. You have a new identity, a new definition, a new word, and it's God's definition now. No one else is is determining of who you are. Whoever believes in Jesus walks into this identity, born of God. And, and if you, if you believe all of what I'm saying, and you should, how could you not love the father who gave birth to you? How could you not love him? I mean, we love our jacked up earthly fathers and man, they jack us up, me included, right? But we love them. This father is perfect and speaks a perfect word over us and defines us perfectly. Whoever is born again, loves this father. This gracious, compassionate Father who is good. And so you're seeing the logic now flow, right? You believe that Jesus is the Christ. You're born into the family of God with the identity of God now spoken over you and you love the Father. Now look at this. There's an inescapable connection. There is an unbreakable link now between being born of God and loving the Father and loving everyone else who is born of this Father. Everyone else who is born of this Father. They are the children of God, too. They are your brothers and sisters. They are your family more than your family is your family. You cannot believe, be born into the family marked by love, whose family business is love, under a father who is perfect love, and the result not be love for other people. You can't do it. And so I cannot be genuinely believing the Gospel and unloving towards other people. I can't be genuinely believing the Gospel and not love people different than me. I can't genuinely believe the Gospel and not love the people that are difficult. I can't genuinely believe the Gospel and not love my wife or my or your husband or, or your kids. Well, I can't genuinely be believing the Gospel and in the same moment being unloving towards people around me. I can't genuinely believe the Gospel and then not love the people that are a little bit more difficult to love. Right? Tax collectors can love the people that they like. Only the believer who's born into the family, who's marked by the Father who is love, can love everyone that is born of that Father. And it's not just can, they must. And they not, it's not you must because God says so, you must because you've been born into this love, you've been poured over by this love, and love is the only thing that can possibly come out from that. You must because it's who you are now. And that's what he's saying is there's this connection. Believe in Jesus. Love the Father. Love everyone that belongs to this Father. So you can't be a Christian without loving other people. And so you can measure the, how deeply the gospel is taking root in your life at any given moment by how much love towards other people is coming out of your life. And that's not to condemn you. It's to throw you back on the goodness of Jesus to rescue you. Throw you back onto that same gospel to rescue you from your failures. And as we deepen ourselves in the gospel, we measure that. Is love coming out of my life to others? Am I in strife? Am I in conflict? Am I in fights? Are there people I just don't like? Are there people I write off and cut off? Where am I forgetting the gospel? Where am I forgetting the gospel? Because the gospel leads to love, and it leads to love. For everyone, genuine faith is connected to love for other people. Second thing we see, by faith we are overcomers because love drives our obedience to God's commands, which are good. Which are good. Like circle that, star that, highlight that, whatever you've got to do. I want you to make sure you train your heart to think about the laws of God rightly. They're good. And so look, we've got rules for our kids. Some of them they get completely Like, don't run out in the street without looking both ways. Doesn't mean they do it perfectly, but like, they totally understand why we tell them don't run in the street without looking both ways. But you know what? There's some things that kind of rules we have that other families don't have as much or they don't get and they don't like. Like, You know, we try not to do the sleepover thing too much. If at all, you know, it's not our favorite thing. We've got to deal with the consequence of it the next day. Or, um, you know, there's shows we won't let them watch. And therefore, they're good. There's a reason we don't let them. But what do we get? Oh, it's not fair. So-and-so's mom lets them. So-and-so's dad lets them do this. Why? You're so mean. Don't we do that to God? Why do we have to do that, God? That's so inconvenient, God. So-and-so doesn't have to do it. There's so many people in church that don't do that. I'm not going to do it. We see God's law is so oppressive and is so like confining. He wants to kill every ounce of joy in my life. Right? We're tempted to view God's law all that way, aren't we? I'm just not going to do it. Why does he want to take away all my fun? And so there's these things like we don't get. Maybe for you, it's like, I don't get why this, you know, physical intimacy thing is such a big deal. Why does God care? That's no fun. Or maybe he knows better. And maybe he braced it into a covenant to say, Jesus and the church looks like this. And faithfulness to the covenant shows the faithfulness of Jesus over his bride. And when we're unfaithful to our bride, or when we're unfaithful to our future wife or our present wife, we are showing the world that Jesus is unfaithful to his. And maybe it's a gospel issue. This is a stab. The possible option. Why does he care about, you know, this... Gay marriage thing. Like, what's the big deal who people love? How does he care? Here's the thing. Whether you understand or don't understand the commands of God, and whether you understand or don't understand what God cares about, if we know God in the gospel, then we trust he's good. And he knows better than us. We trust that He's compassionate and so His laws are compassionate. We trust that He's gracious so that His laws are gracious. We trust that He wants to maximize the display of His glory in the earth and He wants to maximize the flourishing of humanity. And so whatever the law is, I don't know. Maybe I don't get it. Maybe I don't like it. Maybe I don't understand it. What I know is I know God. And when I know God, I know that His commands are to maximize the beauty and the worth and the display of His glory in the earth. But I also know... And he wants to maximize my flourishing and the flourishing of humanity. So he's wired the world in such a way that his law shows his glory and his law makes people prosper. It is your best, even if you don't like it. It's your best, even if it wars against what you want. His glory and your flourishing are tied together. And so how, how, do, I, how do I flourish as a human being and live victorious and, and, and prosper as a human being? I live under the commands of God. How does my family most prosper, most flourish, be the healthiest? We live under the commands of God that are for our good and His glory. How would the world most prosper if they lived under the commands of God? That's how. For His glory and for our good, we have these good commands. And then when you run across the ones you don't get or you don't like... Do you trust that God in God's goodness and lavish, rich kindness towards you so that you interpret them that way as opposed to, I want to destroy your fun? Let's look at it. So by this, we know that we love the children of God. He's about to tell us, how do we know we love God's children? How do we know we do the end of verse one, love all those who are born of God? How do we know that? How do we know and experience and live in the truth that we love God's children? And the first part we kind of get, right? When we love God. That makes sense. What's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I get it. But you don't expect what comes next, do you? And keep his commands. How do I know I love you as people? I obey God. Wait, what? You don't see his natural link. Let me give you a few verses that kind of frame this out for us. And so Jesus is asked by this guy. He's trying to test him. What's the greatest commandment in law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. What, but the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to this. On this hangs all of the law and all of the prophets. What are the commands of God? Love God. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. And by the way, you love yourself really well. Because you're going to go eat after church and you're going to start getting grumpy at me if I go past 12. Right? You love yourself too well. So the problem is that you don't love yourself well. The problem is that the way we love ourselves, like we take care of us, is the way we're supposed to love other people, right? And so this is what the law hangs on. So it makes sense now. How do I know I love people well? I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength that maximizes the display of his glory, which is for their good and which is their best, which means it is loving. And I love them the way I love myself. So what do the commands of God? Commandments 1 through 4. Here's how you love God commandments five through ten here 's how you love people. if you want to take all of the Old Testament and you want to take all of the New Testament commands and boil them down to two commands it 's loving God and it 's loving other people. so it means to obey God is to love him and to love other people so how do I know I'm, how, how do I know i 'm loving the children of god i 'm obeying God by loving people the way he says I should love people that 's how I know and so by this we know that we Love the children of god. We love him all our heart soul mind and strength We obey his commandments love your neighbor as yourself. You love mercy You are you seek justice you love mercy. You walk humbly before your god You forgive one another just as god and christ has forgiven you You forgive other people their sins just the way you want your sins forgiven you. That's how you love people You show love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. That's how you obey God and that's how you love people. You quit biting and devouring each other and being jealous and causing strife. And instead, you bear with one another and you forgive one another and you put on love and humility. That's how you love people. So read your Bible through that lens. Read your Bible through that context. I'm running into a command I don't get. How does this teach me to love God better? That he's holy, so I should be holy. How does this teach me to love people better? Forgive and humility and kindness and meekness. That's how we do it. How do we know we love him? When we love God and we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. I hope you're reading through John with us. It is an amazing book about the glory of Jesus. If you cannot see this beautiful, big, wonderful picture of Jesus in that book, you're missing something. Read it again. It is the fullest, richest Grand, majestic picture of jesus that we have in the gospels you should should be with us but at least three times in the book jesus says it this way if you love me keep my commands there's a connection between love and obedience there's a connection between love and obedience and so the way we think about it is we we hear keep my commands and something in our i mean yours is doing it like my heart is like rebellious i don't want to He can't tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'll decide what law I keep and what law I don't keep. Right? That's how we do it. Or we just kind of redefine the law and we keep our law. So I want to give you this connection. If you obey without love, it's called legalism. If you obey without love, it's called legalism. And it doesn't matter how moral it is. It doesn't matter how upright it is. It doesn't matter how good it looks. It doesn't matter how good it makes you look. If you obey without love, it's legalism. And by the way, that includes the new legalism, like organic and healthy and non-GMO and, you know, whatever the, whatever the cause of the day is, like jumping into trafficking apart from the gospel is just a new legalism. Like everybody should jump in to fight this. Yeah, maybe We should. But it's not the gospel the gospel compels me to do it. It's not the gospel to do it So I don't atone for myself by jumping into the latest cause I don't atone for myself uh, By being pro-life. I am pro-life I love life. God's the god of life But it doesn't make me righteous before god to be part of that cause It's because I belong to god that i'm part of causes like that make sense And so whatever we want to do in our latest cause, and our latest movement, and we jump in away from the gospel, it's called self-righteousness. You're trying to atone for your sin. Versus being people who are so captured by the gospel, we want freedom for people, and we want life for people, and we want reconciliation for people. Because the gospel has reconciled us and made us free. All right, side note, that's free. You don't have to pay for that part. All right, and so whether it's an old legalism or a new legalism, when we try to atone for ourselves, apart from love... Apart from the gospel, it's legalism. But here's the other side of that coin. When we love without obeying, it's pres- presumption and rebellion. So when we love, I love God. I'm just going to love God. Doesn't change me at all. I don't have to obey anything he says. I just love God. That's rebellion. That's what it's called. And so here's the right combination between the word and law of God and the outcome of our life. Love drives obedience. It is never a sacrifice to do what pleases the least we love. How do I know that there's probably struggles in some of my closest relationships? It's when serving them becomes a chore. Like when it's really hard to serve somebody you love and care about, it means your love started to get cold. Because, man, when you're first dating, oh, it's no problem finding time, staying up to one in the morning, talking and sharing your heart and communicating, is it? It's when love starts to get routine and a little bit cold that those become really big issues. And I'm sorry, I just don't have time. I got to go to bed, right? The person we love deeply, we desire to please, and pleasing them is never a chore. It's the natural outflow of our life. If we love God, we keep his commandments. If we love Jesus, we keep his commandments. All right. Love drives obedience. Faith and love drive obedience. Obedience without it. Is legalism love without obedience is rebellion All right, let's look at this last piece though And his commandments are not burdensome it doesn't mean they're not hard But it means they're not crushing It means they're not enslaving It means his commands are not oppressive. Do you want to know what's oppressive? It is to be apart from jesus and slave to sin and if you are apart from jesus, you are a slave to sin it may be good-looking sin or it may be bad-looking sin, but when you're not in covenant with Jesus, sin owns you. And you know what sin's sole purpose in life is? To destroy you and everybody you're connected to. You want to talk about oppressive? It's not the commands of God that show you how to flourish. It is the slavery to sin that wants to destroy you, that wants to crush you, that wants to enslave you, that wants to oppress you, that wants to destroy you, but it's not content with you. It wants to destroy everybody connected to you. That's oppressive. That's oppressive. That's crushing. That is not the law of God. That is not the law of good. It's not burdensome. It does not enslave us. It sets us free to be who we're designed to be. That's what God does. They're not burdensome. And so love drives our obedience and it is for our good. The last step, because the, go- because the gospel gives us power to live victoriously over the world. We are, by faith we are overcomers because the gospel gives us power to live victoriously over the world. I love a good underdog story. Do you guys? Some of you do. So if, if like I don't care if if I'm watching a football game and I don't care who's in it, I'm always gonna root for the underdog. No, if it's not my team, right? And so I got to witness one a, a few weeks ago. My girls were on a basketball team. They were on the San Antonio Spurs. Not the ones where you get paid, but you know the ones where you pay to play. That one. <laughs> So you didn't see them on TV. But all season long, there's this top team in the league, undefeated. They play them the first time and get trounced. The second time, uh, I think they might have, I don't know, I don't know if they tied them. Third time, they play them even to the half and end up getting crushed in the second half. So we come to the championship game. Undefeated Pacers. Immediately, free throw, they go down a point. Down, back, immediately, they go down three points. And you're like, okay, well, that's the way it went. It was a good run. Had fun watching, you know. I'm, I'm a sports dad. have to reel myself in a little bit. But then all of a sudden, they foul one of my daughters. She nails two free throws. This is a game all of a sudden. Down, back. They get some. We get some. They nail one of my other daughters. Boom, hits one of the two free throws. Now all of a sudden, we got like a one-point game going here. Ten minutes in, we're up by seven points. You're like, okay, it was a good run. I enjoyed it. I'm into it. I'm a sports dad. That's how it works. And instead of folding, they stay strong. They, fight. they end up winning against the best team in the league by ten points. I love an underdog story. People are taller. They're stronger. They're more physical. They're more athletic. And they, our team won. The Twin Tower Fowlers over here. Here we go. Right? <laughs> Exciting to watch. I love an underdog story. There is a perspective of looking at the Christian life and Christianity as an underdog story. Think about all that's against us. First, there's you and me, right? The Bible says not many noble are called, not many wise, not many rich, right? That's you. Like, that's me. Not much to look at, not much to accomplish. Yes, I mean, we're, you know, very ordinary. Let's just put it nicely that way. All right. So there's one thing against us. Then you have the world system. Humanity is united in its enmity to God. Like all of humanity apart from Christ is opposed to God and opposed to his work in the world. So we got the whole world against us. Many are called, few are chosen, you know. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Very narrow is the way to life. And so there's always going to be vast outnumbered. Then you've got this guy, Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air. He is the little g, God of this present age. So we've got the God of this age against us. We've got the world against us. We're not much to look at anyways. And then there's this really amazing accomplice that the world and Satan have called our flesh. Weak, prone to sin, fragile, pitiable. It's like, okay, that's not going to work out so great. That's an underdog story. And then think about the way our story starts. Our hero, the biggest scene of our hero's life up to the point was a cross. So our king and our hero are sitting on a cross. We're not much to look at. The world vastly outnumbers us and, and dislikes us and what, we're trying, what God's trying to accomplish through us. Satan, the god of this age, is on us. And then there's our sin. That's an underdog story. If you look at it one way. But then after the grave is closed, it opens back up and there's a resurrection and there's an ascension to the right hand of the father. And there is a return that's coming one day. And so it's only in an outward sense that we live in an underdog story. And so the odds seem to be against our victory. But I want you to see in this text. The victory's finished. It's not really an underdog story. It's kind of a rigged game. So let's look at it as, as the passage closes out. Everyone who has been born of God, this is the last time being born of God, this new identity, this new nature, this new family, it's the last time it's used. Of the eight times from the end of two till now, it is used. And so in the eighth time, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, present tense. You right now in Jesus are overcoming the world. You are actively, presently, and in an ongoing way being victorious over the world. You are Nikeing the world. If you want to tie this to a word, the original Greek word is Nike, basically. So if you've got little swooshes on your shoe, it can look down. You can remind myself I'm victorious. Now, I'm not endorsing Nike. That's just where the word comes from. We are victorious. We are overcoming presently. And you're thinking, I don't feel like I'm victorious presently. I would not define myself as an overcomer presently. What do you mean? I think we better take a step back to get the right perspective. Let me get my verse right. In John sixteen thirty three, again, I hope you're reading John with, it, with us because you would have read this. John sixteen thirty three. Peace I give to you. With the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so when I believe in Jesus the Christ in a saving way, I am born of God. And when I'm born of God, I am plunged into the victory of Jesus, accomplished at the cross and guaranteed at his return. I am now walking in the victory of Jesus. He overcame and I just go live in his overcoming. So how can he say presently, everyone born of God overcomes the world? Because everyone who is born of God is living inside the victory of Jesus. That was accomplished. It was sealed. It was finalized. He crushed the head of the serpent at the cross. And now it's just the death pains of Satan being thrown out on the world until he returns and makes everything right. The victory is done. So you are an overcomer, not because you're overcoming, but because he did. And so we call we call this positional righteousness. I'll call it positional overcoming. You are living in the victory of Jesus because the victory of Jesus was secured by his work, not your work. But then there's also a progressive sense, a living and active sense of this victory. Which means there's a living, ongoing faith that's part of the Christian life. Uh, They came up to Jesus again in John. You should read this book, I'm telling you. It's like one of the greatest books. They come up to Jesus and they're like, what must we do to be doing the works of God, Jesus? Believe. What do we do? What's the Christian life? Believe. Believe. Shouldn't there be some rules attached to it? No. You see God for who he is. You see Jesus for who he is. With the eyes of faith, see God. That's the work. Everything else will come out of it. This is the overcoming. It is your belief in him. And so when we live in active faith, active faith will produce active love. Look back in the text. Active faith will produce active love. Active faith and love will produce active obedience. Loving other people the way we love ourselves. Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Active faith will produce active love and active obedience. How do you define overcoming? We love God with all our heart. We love people. And we do what God says. And so active faith produces active obedience because of love. So we... Have entered the overcoming of jesus. We are overcomers settled and then we increasingly live in faith We increasingly see the beauty of god. We increasingly see the glory of jesus We increasingly fill our souls with the goodness of who he is And that comes out in love it comes out in obedience and we live in increasing victory Increasing overcoming by faith showing itself in love and showing itself in obedience That's overcoming This is the overcoming, your faith, your belief in the gospel. You're holding on to the gospel. you taking the gospel and shoving it into every dark corner of your heart until it looks like Jesus. That's the victory, and that will come out in your life. And then he closes it this way. Who is it that overcomes the world except for the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Believe that he is the Christ and believe that he is the Son of God. Believe in the Incarnation. Believe that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Believe that the long-awaited Messiah King has come to reign and he has set us free. And he didn't set us free from Rome and he didn't set us free from Democrats or Republicans. He set us free from sin and its slavery and Satan and his liturgy God over ourselves and our lives and our world. He set us free from that. And it's the victory to live in Jesus, the one who is overcome, and it's the victory to continually believe in him in increasing ways and live in overcoming. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. To believe the fullness and the majesty and the glory and the beauty of Jesus. That's the work. Let's do a few practical things as we close. I want you to think about this victory as Revelation is winding down. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimonies. And... 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even when you're slaughtered for your faith, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. They can oppress us more than conquer if we believe and if we love. They can kill us more than conquerors if we believe and if we love. There is no losing. It's a rigged game. It's finished. Kill me and you promote me. And if we really believed that, what power would anyone have over us? Like, do your worst because it's a promotion. Here we go. If we really believed that. If we really lived like that. A few practical things. First, genuine salvation and love for others can't be separated. If there's areas where your love is cold or distant or broken or non existent, you need to look back for the gospel, to the gospel for those areas. Drive the gospel into your heart in those areas because the faith in the gospel and in Jesus leads to love. Christians cannot be loveless. There's something broken in us if we're loveless. Obedience is an expression of love. If you're obeying because you think, man, I'm going to earn something from God, or if you're obeying because you have a really sinful past and you think if you're good enough, you're going to make up to God all the bad things you've done, would you just be set free? Jesus finished the work. You're righteous. You don't get to or have to earn anything else from him. Jesus finished the work. Or if you're thinking, I'm going to do some good stuff because that will earn something good from God. How can the one who gave you his only son not want to and, to and desire to give you everything that's good for you from then on? Or maybe you fall into this trap like love and grace and love and grace. And that means I don't have to do anything and it doesn't make any demands. And you fall into that trap. Would you just remind yourself that the grace of God that's brought us salvation to all people teaches us to renounce ungodliness and live upright in this present age. To be holy for he is holy and he's made us holy. And so obedience is an expression of love. Victory flows out of our grasp of the gospel. Faith leading to love and obedience will give you a victorious life. Right? And so, if you want to live a victorious life, drive yourself into faith. Expose your eyes and your heart to who Jesus is and what he's done and to all of his beauty and to all of his fullness. And the more you expose your heart to that beauty and it's captured by that, the more the outcome will be victory. The result will be victory. And as we're challenging you over over this entire year, we are going to put before your eyes to engage, to serve, and to share with someone that doesn't know Jesus. You should be identifying or have identified two people that you want to actively serve, practically serve, pray to the Spirit to give you opportunities to serve, and look for opportunities to share the pieces of God's goodness with them. We are overcomers, whether we feel like it or not, because Jesus overcame on our behalf and made us people who love people. Made us people who lean towards obedience instead of away from it because we love our good, good Father who rescued us. Let's pray. So, Father, in Jesus' name we bow. And we ask forgiveness, God, because we don't believe who you say we are. We ask forgiveness, God, because we don't believe you love us as much as you say you love us. We ask for forgiveness, God, because our eyes don't see your beauty and your worth and your majesty. They're dim. But we ask you to rescue us, Father. We ask you to show us Jesus. We ask you, Father, to put his beauty before our eyes over and over again and then change the way we live because of it. Father, would you work to show us Jesus? Would your Holy Spirit, whose job it is to show us Jesus, God, by your Spirit, would you work in us? And would you show us Jesus? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.